I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is my big bag of onions. The cough made to California, broken hearts that boss unknown. And through this night we'll share a lover On that dark radio How the soul may be so lonely Hands pressed cold against the phone See all the stars Every so often a word comes along that means just what it sounds like. It may not be onomatopoeic, but even if you've never heard it before, you instantly get the idea. Gobsmacked is such a word. It means, figuratively, to be flabbergasted, amazed, or astounded. Literally, it means to be smacked in the mouth. As in the song Gobsmacked by Chumbawamba, outside the pub smack you in the gob, get four long years in wormwood scrubs. Gob has been slang for mouth in the north of England since the late 1500s. There are few adjectives that make you look the way you feel quite like gobsmacked. People who say it have to drop their jaws twice, like large-mouthed bass. You can't use it insincerely. It conveys a certain authenticity. Highly descriptive and irresistible to many, it is popular as a business name. Gobsmacked Media, Gobsmacked Records, Gobsmacked TV. It is also a nail polish color, charcoal gray with flecks of glitter from Butter London. And, perhaps most appropriately, a brand of sports mouthguards. It's truth in advertising, mate. Wear it so you don't lose your teeth when you get smacked in the you-know-where. Not everyone approves of gobsmacked. It is a word that some associate with cheap tabloid newspapers and oiks from the north. In the Dictionary of Disagreeable English, Robert Hartwell Fisk criticizes it as one of the least attractive words in the English language today.
Imagine you're locked into a windowless house in the woods. You can't sense day or night, and you can't feel the temperature outside. But you do have a reliable clock, and you can hear the birds. If you take meticulous notes, you can gradually discern a pattern showing which birds are singing and when. There's tremendous natural variability, of course. A late spring or short winter will throw off the pattern from one year to the next, but eventually you will be able to discern the seasons and determine the length of a full annual cycle. Of course. It would be far better to fling open your door and enjoy actual nature in all its splendor, but that's not part of the bargain. Your conclusions must be inferences only. Likewise, a biomedical researcher can rarely witness directly the object of study. Life is mostly chemistry, and most of chemistry is invisible. Living cells also change depending on subtle variations in their environment, and those are hard to sort out as well. But with time. A picture gradually emerges from deductions based on indirect evidence. There is, in fact, no such thing as direct observation for the most part," said Stanford University's Stephen Goodman. Every scientific observation is filtered through an instrument of some sort. The tool may be an electron microscope, or it may be a clinical trial, in which the tool involves observing a group of human subjects, or it may be a statistical method. So the first question is: Do you trust your tool to get accurate answers? And if you don't believe that everything was properly done, you're not going to believe in the findings. So your ability to trust what you see depends on your degree of trust in the instrument you're using.
down, down. later our washing machine broke. A repairman was summoned and the leaky pipe was quickly replaced. My mother wanted to know how to remove the black stain left by the leak. Y'all are gonna have to use some elbow grease, he said. I thanked him and paid him and walked with my mother to the hardware store. After searching fruitlessly for elbow grease, I asked the sales clerk for help. It removes stains, I added. The manager was called. Once the manager finished laughing, gave us the disappointing explanation. My mother and I walked home empty-handed. That, I later learned, is what Americans call a wild goose chase. Now that my parents have lived in America for 30 years, their English has improved somewhat, but not as much as one would hope. It's not entirely their fault. English is a confusing language. When my father paid his friend's daughter the compliment of calling her homely, he meant she would be a great housewife. When he complained about horny drivers, he was referring to their tendency to honk. And my parents still don't understand why teenagers want to be cool so they can be hot. I no longer encourage my parents to learn English. I've given up. Instead, I'm grateful for the wave of immigration that has brought Iranian television, newspapers, and supermarkets to America. Now, when my mother wants to ask the grocer whether he has any more eggplants in the back that are a little darker and more firm because the ones he has out aren't right for Khorishto Bademjun, she can do so in Persian all by herself. And for that, I say hallelujah, a word that needs no translation. Somewhere deep inside, something's got a hold on you. 
stretch on forever And I know I'm right For the first time in my life And that's why I tell you High in the Andes, the Bolivian city of Cochabamba rests in a fertile valley astride the banks of the Rocha River. Bolivia is the poorest country in South America. Two-thirds of its population lives below the poverty line. The simplest things can be difficult and, as in many developing countries, more than 40% of Cochabamba's residents lack access to a water faucet. And even those who do get piped water cannot depend on reliable service. The poor often live in squatter settlements on the outskirts of town, relying for their drinking and domestic water supplies on private vendors. In a cruel irony, the poorest end up paying more for their water than wealthier citizens connected to the city's water mains, sometimes up to 10 times more. As a part of a nationwide project to improve city services, the government of Bolivia launched a major privatization reform effort in the late 1990s. Guided by financial institutions such as the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, the government actively sought out private investors to manage Cochabamba's water and sewage services. Bringing in companies to run the systems, it was widely argued, would bring in multiple benefits. Private capital would improve the water supply system infrastructure and delivery. Private management would ensure greater efficiencies. And the market would ensure increased attention to customer needs. In the end, a 40-year concession for water and wastewater services in Cochabamba was granted to a private consortium. Headed by the giant international construction company Bechtel, the group was known as Aguas del Tunari. In the national law passed to facilitate this transaction, water was declared the property of the state, available for licensing to private companies for distribution. Anda sedang mendengarkan sebuah tas besar penuh dengan onions yang punya bill.
Men I'm bound to southern hemisphere And people are starving They live right here And they're tearing down walls In the name of peace And killing each other in the Middle East Yeah, we love and happiness Have forgotten our names And if the you live Then I said some hours If you're a young couple Today forget buying a house And we wage our wars In the neighborhoods And we kill the young To feed the old And man that ain't no good But love And happiness Have forgotten our names And if the value lives Most of my adult life trying to distance myself from my four sisters. Each was wonderful and beautiful, but a painful reminder of a time and place I wanted to forget. In my attempts to erase my childhood, I erased them too, as if they never existed. I am the youngest of five daughters my mother had in seven years. Mother was a classic beauty in the 1950s, swept away by a handsome man nine years her senior. She married my father when she was just one year out of high school. She once told me she had no bigger dreams than to be a wife and mother. Her childhood home was filled with love from her five rambunctious brothers, parents, and a myriad of aunts, uncles, and cousins who routinely stopped by. She left the only home she knew for one she could not have imagined. My father was an abusive, raging alcoholic who did and said things I knew to be evil, even if I didn't totally understand. He was a stranger in our lives, staying away for weeks, and then reappearing in the middle of the night to wake us all with violence. I heard none of my father's childhood stories and never saw him as a person. He was a dark silhouette lurking in the doorway of our lives and trapping us in darkness. We grew up denying he had any effect on us, but he did. Each time we ran half asleep from our beds in our pajamas and watched him beat our mother, we were affected even though I denied it.
know it, baby. Tell me your troubles and doubts, giving me everything inside and out. Inside and out. And love's strange, so real in the dark. Think of the tender things that we were working on. Slow change may pull us apart. When the light gets into your heart, baby, don't you forget about me. Don't, 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 don't you forget about me. Will you stand above? It's my feeling we'll win in the end. I won't harm you or touch your defenses, vanity and security. Don't you forget about me? I'll be alone dancing. You know it, baby. I'm going to take you apart. I'll put us back together at heart, baby. Don't you? While the compact disc might be rated a home run in terms of consumer acceptance, most new products or processes are not. In fact, the attrition rate for new products is over 95%, upwards of 98% in food products, and about the same in pharmaceuticals. That said, the push for innovation does not mean you have to swing for the fences. Incremental improvements are wholly acceptable. Henry Ford's great gift to the world was not simply mass manufacturing. It was relentless improvement of manufacturing processes, according to historian Douglas Brinkley. Ford improved the manufacturing of the Model T more than the Model T itself. Hence, he was able to offer the consumer a better product at a better price. This is a lesson that Japanese manufacturers have taken to heart. Incremental innovation in both production and product are their way of life. Celebrate creativity. Pushing back the frontier is hard work and tough going. 
Often it is frustrating with little return. Here's where management comes in. Take time out to recognize those who are putting forth the ideas. Celebrate the best idea of the month. Make certain everyone is included. Good ideas are as likely to come from frontline folks as they are from middle managers. In fact, more likely from people in the trenches because they are dealing with the issues. If taught to think differently and rewarded for doing so, they will generate newer and better ways of doing the work. Innovation has wrought much good in terms of goods, services, and economic health. Not simply in consumer goods like cars, telephones, and computers, but travel, leisure time, and healthcare. Caught a fast car. I want a ticket for anywhere. Maybe we can make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Any place is better. Starting from nothing, we got nothing to lose. Maybe we'll make something. Me and myself, I got nothing to prove. Car. I got a plan to get us out of here Working at a convenience store Managed to save just a little bit of money We don't have to drive too far Just cross the border and into the city You and I can both get jobs Finally see what it means to be living Like I was drunk City lights lay out before us And your arm felt nice Round my shoulder and I, I Had a feeling that I belonged And I, I Had a feeling I could be someone Be someone, be someone With a bottle, that's the way it is City's body's too old for working His body's too young to look like his Mama went off and left him Said she wanted more than he could give He said, someone's gotta take care of him I quit school, that's what I did Like I was drunk City lights lay out before us And your arm felt nice Round my shoulder and I, I Had a feeling that I belonged I, I Had a feeling I Id, ego, and superego describe the three parts of the human psychological structure. They come to us directly from Sigmund Freud. According to Freud, the id is the unconscious mind. 
The ego is our conscious self, and the superego plays the role of our conscience, or what some would call our higher self. As the lingo of psychology has permeated our language, ego has become synonymous with an inflated sense of self. What is hysteria? Although Freud did not originate the concept, hysteria was the cornerstone of his theory of psychopathology. It was used to describe a wide range of symptoms, and eventually that range became so broad that the term itself was dropped from the American Psychiatric Association's diagnostic listings. The word hysterical comes from the Greek word for nervous disorders of the uterus. Freud's theories were based on his studies of women who behaved in ways he labeled hysterical. The pattern went as follows. An event would cause the patient to develop an odd physical symptom, such as paralysis, blindness, seizures, or any number of things. Freud declared that the patient achieved two psychological gains from the hysterical symptom. First, she avoided dealing with the event that triggered the symptom. Second, she got to bask in the attention and support of her family and friends. This type of female hysteria was common around the turn of the century, or at least it was commonly diagnosed. You're listening to My Big Bag of Onions.
Human beings appear to be happy just so long as they have a future to which they can look forward, whether it be a good time tomorrow or an everlasting time beyond the grave. For various reasons, more and more people find it hard to believe in the latter. On the other hand, the former has the disadvantage that when this good time arrives, it is difficult to enjoy it to the full without some promise of more to come. If happiness always depends on something expected in the future, we are chasing a will-o'-the-wisp that ever eludes our grasp, until the future, and ourselves, vanish into the abyss of death. As a matter of fact, our age is no more insecure than any other. Poverty, disease, war, change, and death are nothing new. In the best of times, security has never been more than temporary and apparent. But it has been possible to make the insecurity of human life supportable by belief in unchanging things beyond the reach of calamity. In God, in man's immortal soul, and in the government of the universe by eternal laws of right. Today such convictions are rare, even in religious circles. There is no level of society, there must even be few individuals, touched by modern education, where there is not some trace of the leaven of doubt. It is simply self-evident that during the past century, the authority of science has taken the place of the authority of religion in the popular imagination, and that skepticism, at least in spiritual things, has become more general than belief. You're listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions.
just in, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. In the days after the disaster, the Times ran a regular obituary section in the back of the paper and another within the news coverage of the disaster. The obits in these two sections were similar in all ways except in the cause of death. Their subjects were the movers, shakers, leaders, brokers, and beautiful people who usually command obituary space, the figures with public lives. They contained all the usual parts and elements and had the usual sparkle of a Times obit. But one section ended in the classified death notices and the other appeared on a page with the emergency numbers to call. The oddness of these 9-11 obits was most pronounced in the phrases describing the cause of death. Obit writers from rival papers like to complain about the clutter in the Times obits, phrases like, according to his agent, or as she said in an interview in this paper in 1987, but the Times lives and dies on its attributions. Someone has to announce every death, and then the writer of the obit has to confirm it. All quotes have to be nailed to the wall. Where and when was it put on the record? I want to know where you got this, Strum says reasonably. You don't have to say the police said after every paragraph, but you have to gracefully say how you know this. An obit, like any news story, is subject to the same rules of straight journalism the rest of the paper follows. One of the challenges of running obituaries for any of the 9-11 dead was establishing death if it couldn't be a verifiable certainty, then it had to at least be a veritable one, and all available authorities were called upon to swear to it. Hello? Yes, Sean, you're on the air yeah, right yeah. now. Uh, can, what can, go ahead, what can you tell us? I, I just witnessed a plane that appeared to be cruising uh, slightly lower than normal altitude over New York City, and it appears to have crashed into, uh, I don't know which tower it is, but it hit directly in the middle of uh, one of the World Trade Center towers. Load up on guns, bring your friends. It's fun to lose and it's fun to pretend. She's overboard, she's self-assured. Oh no, I know a dirty word. Hello, 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 how Hashtag blessed Our little group Has always been And always will Until the end Hello, hello, hello How low, hello, hello
taste Oh yeah, I guess makes me smile I found it hard, it was hard to find Oh well, whatever, never mind Hello, 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 how low Hello, 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 how low Hello, 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 how low Whoa. As he spends less time in the city, Titus is much more aware of drawbacks that native Roman city dwellers take for granted. The smell, for instance. To put it bluntly, Rome stinks. Over there is Exhibit A, that pile of reeking ox dung recently deposited by a passing cart. This has at least the virtue of being fresh. Unlike the contents of dozens of chamber pots dumped on the streets earlier in the night by Romans too lazy to trek down to the public latrines and upstairs again. This particular stink blends with the pungent general odour of hundreds of thousands of humans and animals confined very closely together and merges with the smell of rotting garbage wafting from the alleyways. Every time Titus comes to Rome, he feels his sinuses cringe in horror. Yet among all this are also the more appealing scents of firewood and fresh bread from the bakeries and the more raspy aroma of charcoal from where the blacksmith's forges are being started for the day. Also, and much less pleasant, is the reek of the tanner's yards carried into his face by the east wind from the Trans-Tiberium quarter, that is, across the river Tiber. The acrid scent of the concentrated urine used to soften the skins is enough to bring tears to a country boy's eyes, and Titus, born in the Sabine Hills, still counts himself as a country boy, despite his years in Imperial service. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one. She packed my bags last night pre-flight 
zero hours, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. I miss the earth so much. I miss my wife. It's lonely out in space. Such a timeless flight. I think it's gonna be a long, long time. Touchdown brings me round again to find. I'm not the man they think I am at home. Oh, no, no, no. I'm a rocket man. Rocket man. for another journey through the pleasures of music, words, and sound. I'll be seeing you. Bill's Big Bag of Onions has been produced and directed by Adrian Cohen and is a guppy production for Cone Radio.